A warning, this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered a substitute for legal advice. And if you have a question or wish to act upon the information in this podcast, we recommend you consult an attorney in your particular state. Welcome back to Punk Law 101, everybody. I am Walter. Uh, I am an attorney. We are going to be joined shortly by Mr. John Rinaldi, another attorney. Yes, the greatest attorney in the world, if you will. And uh, today we are talking about five, five Supreme Court opinions. All right, the last five for this session, right? We're going to talk about the Trump subpoena cases, both the congressional and the prosecutorial. We'll be talking about the Creek Nation in Oklahoma and whether what portion of Oklahoma is considered part of the Creek Nation. Here's a hint, about half. Oh, my God, really? What are the effects of that? Well, we will find out. And then finally, we will lead it up with two very, very religious-sounding cases, both with totally different effects, if you will. One, Little Sisters of the Poor, St. Peter and Paul, home versus Pennsylvania. Right, it just sounds like a nice little ditty, doesn't it? And then we will we will end the case. We'll end the, the episode talking about Our Lady of Guadalupe. In that case, well, everybody, we will talk about the ministerial exception. We will explain what the ministerial exception is. It, it might sound very self-explanatory, but we will get into that in this episode. So let me bring him on, the greatest attorney on the planet, the man who I call my friend. And hopefully one day you will call your attorney. Bring on Mr. John Renaud. Right, so. uh, warning! I've I've been drinking all day, and I'm a little I'm a little drunk, and I'm I'm just gonna keep on going. So that sounds like fun. I'm gonna just let you know right now. So do you want to get in on this admin law case? <laughs> we can do whatever you want, man. All I'm right, gonna, so we'll get we'll get in on the uh, admin law case. Uh, let's talk about uh, the little sisters of the poor St. Peter and Paul home versus Pennsylvania, which sounds like a song. <laughs> versus Pennsylvania. Little sisters of the poor St. Peter's and Paul. Anyway, so this was the uh, this is the birth control case, man. Everybody talking about the Affordable Care Act, the religious exemption. Everybody's like, keep my your hands off my birth control. And the reality is, this is a very like narrow case. This is true. It, I feel like again, it's one of those cases where people kind of made it a little more overblown than it really was well and in fact this is this is a reaction to hobby lobby and hobby lobby as well was another case that was oh, very I, narrow i forgot about hobby lobby well the the bulk of this case was because of hobby lobby oh yeah they had yeah, the, yeah yeah they, this was in response to hobby lobby a few years ago where they said that the the affordable care act is the way it was written back then did not un- take into enough the the balancing of of the religious, uh, like the religious and moral uh, objections, and and actually Hobby Lobby even is a little bit more clear than that. Be- under the, by the way, they didn't they did not use Hob- under Hobby Lobby they did not focus on the freedom uh, uh, freedom of religion under the First Amendment. They focused on the RFA, the Religious uh, Freedom Restoration Act, and they said you know they they made a bigger uh, deal about the uh, the contraceptive mandate substantially burdening. Uh, corporations with sincerely held religious objections. So there's a, there's something in that quote that I think is very important: is the sincerely held religious objections. But like, but like what does that really even mean, though? Like, but, the, my, so, my my problem with that is like, what does sincerely held mean? Like, I I feel like you can bullshit that. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree with you on that. I just thought that was an important note on it in that case. The other thing is, so that that ruling was not. It was reached on statutory grounds, right? The Religious uh, Freedom Restoration Act is still technically a law. 
they uh, they didn't address it under the free exercise clause of the First Amendment, and they found that basically, like they that the rules as they were written were not the least restrictive way of uh, of administrating those rules, right? Like, in fact, Kennedy, I think, noted that. Well, actually, the alternative is that the 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 state or the federal government can provide contraceptive care, which like uh, which they're not going to do because it's the Trump administration. But that's back then yeah. under Hobby Lobby, they were saying there is a less restrictive means, and it's the state or the federal government can fund the the missing parts with the birth control care. They're not going to do it, but we're saying that's an alternative to the way the rule is written right now. So after Hobby Lobby. Uh, they had to go back the department of uh, health and human resources, the treasury and labor. They went back to rewrite some of the rules to sit there and say, uh, to create exemptions under the affordable care act for corporations. Right? So they promulgated two interim final rules. Uh, the first significantly expanded the church exemption to include an employer that objects based on its sincerely held religious beliefs to its establishing, maintaining, providing, offering, or arranging coverage or payments for some or all contraceptive services. That was one, uh, one exemption. And they also created a second uh, exemption, a similar moral exemption for employee employers with sincerely held moral objections to providing some or all forms of contraceptive care. So they kind of expanded what kind of Hobby Lobby suggested and they created two exemptions. And basically the issue in this case was whether the Affordable Care Act allowed the, the Departments of Health and Human Resources, the Treasury and Labor to create these rules, whether they had authority to do it under the law at all. So then Pennsylvania, New Jersey, they sued. They said, you can't do that, you bastards. This is our, you, you this isn't a, like the, the law does not say you can do this. And basically the federal court, the, the Supreme Court here said, actually, yeah, it does. It, it, they can do this. Um, here, they, they said the legal authority stems, like when you look at the act, they said, they even said that the, uh, the, the departments are invoking, uh, you know, the part of the, the Affordable Care Act that said they are t the, uh, the group health plans must provide women with preventative health care and screenings uh, as provided for in a comprehensive guideline supported by the HRSA. So basically, there's guidelines that they are going off of, right? Meaning that this is administrative law, right? We've now allowed the government, we allowed the, the administrative agencies to develop rules they get they have a you know the commentary and critique periods and what we're allowing them to do is you know you know the the basics of admin law they're yeah. they're allowed to make these rules in furtherance of the law to to put them into effect and they're they're going off of facts right they're going off of facts that have been provided to them by agencies they do research they come back to them experts come back and say listen you know uh the reason why you can't feed, you know, that we're going to make a rule about not feeding dogs, hot dogs, because that's cannibalism in their, their mentality, like something like that. Like they do, they do, uh, they come up with the facts, get experts and they make rules according to these facts. All this case said was whether or not they can even this, they even could write a rule about the healthcare mandate and about the uh, contraceptive mandate. It does not argue by the way, it is not hold, whether it is arbitrary and capricious, it left the door wide open for New Jersey and Pennsylvania to go ahead and relitigate this and say, fuck you, you can't do this, this is arbitrary and capricious. Yeah. And, 
And the funny thing is, Alito Alito and Kagan both wanted to resolve it under the arbitrary and capricious. They both concurred with the opinion of the court, but they also said we can resolve arbitrary and capricious. Alito saying we can resolve it by taking this back down and saying it is not arbitrary and capricious and we can resolve it right now. And Kagan said we can resolve it right now too, but we could say it's arbitrary and capricious. They both kind of went different ways. And the reason why the court did not do that was because as a, a, it was not decided by the lower court. They, all the lower courts decided was whether or not they, they were going against, they, they were saying that the uh, Affordable Care Act did not allow for this. Well, let's be fair. The real reason why it wasn't figured out by the court was because they were punting. Well, that's <laughs> like, true too. They know damn it's well election- that they could, they could have made that determination, but they chose not to. Well, to be fair, it very much falls within Robert's MO too. Robert's- exactly. exactly. I, I, I think that's where, because like no one's going to, no one is going to like fault Roberts for this decision, in my opinion, and he doesn't have to like sign his name on it. And like, and and, and by the time it comes makes its way back up through the courts, he might have retired. No, he won't be retired by that point. I'm, I mean, it's like fifties. So I, I I know, but like I'm I'm by the trying, time it comes back, I'm trying up to again, get in the man's head. Well, I think. Well, there's two reasons why, right? They are the the lower courts did not decide that, so there's really not a reason to make a ruling on arbitrary and capricious and yeah could they uh we're going to talk about it we talked about last week with a case uh espinoza where they might have they might not have been really like they kind of went a, a outside of their zone of what they probably should have been ruling on here they they avoided doing that because it was it was not right the question wasn't right now we're letting the, the lower courts decide this question but you're yeah, right but, they like, could but, have but we know what's going to happen there's going to be a circuit split and it's going to work its way back there's like, I I would be amazed if it if it doesn't work its way up back in the Supreme Court by 2024. Except by then, it'll probably be a different president. Almost certainly, given the way the polls are running. Yeah. So, and that might mean that it's moot by the time it comes around next year, which I think is why they did it like this too. <sighs> that yeah, that that might be a way to buy some time. So. I I know Kagan and, and Alito and Kagan wrote it to kind of give the to give the argument out there to put the argument in people's heads. Hey, I'm voting with them, but I'm concurring with them only in the fact that the Affordable Care Act allows us to do this. I am not concurring on the basis that I think this is arbitrary and capricious. I think that was the point of her doing this is that she was giving a roadmap to people saying, listen, this is going to be disputed a lot more. And in fact, I think it was arbitrary and capricious. Um, maybe we should inform people what the arbitrary and capricious standard is. I, I mean, well, okay. So, uh, in this capacity of these administrations being able to write rules, they have to do them rationally, right? They have to articulate a satisfactory explanation for the action, including a rational connection between the facts found, like if you have experts coming in and the choices made, right? Here, there's, there is actually at, at least somewhat of an argument, right? There was already Hobby Lobby with the Re- Religious Freedom Act. But you're arguing, is this the, is this, in, like, the, is this, you know, could the federal government have done something that's not arbitrary and capricious, like completely just giving people exemptions? Well, yeah, but you're not fixing the, the now the gaping hole that's there. So I think that's what Kagan's argument is, is that this is arbitrary and capricious. They didn't show reasoned decision making, uh, you know, you have to give a satisfactory explanation for your actions. So 
another example would be with the DACA case, uh, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago was with Trump. He, you know, he just said, I'm getting rid of the, the dreamers. I'm getting, I'm going to go ahead with an executive order, get rid of DACA. And he didn't provide a reason why they were doing it. Right. It wasn't like he provided labor statistics saying that DACA harms the, uh, the employment rate. Uh, there was no reason analysis behind why he was doing this. This is just another example of Trump's administration sucks at admin law. This is true. <laughs> I'm so sad we're running out of cases now because I'm now finally getting in the zone with all this shit. I mean, hey, if, if we make it to next year, then uh, we then we, we know where to go. We don't even have to. We don't even have to wait till next year. We had more cases in like six months. This is true. SCOTUS is fun. <laughs> so we we'll be back to talking about these eventually. But I'm like I'm now kicking into like. I've been doing videos with this and like little like minute long videos about some of these Supreme Court analysis analyses. And it's kind of been kicking in the whole like, oh, wow, I'm getting like really good at briefing cases again, which is like what we did in law school. I know. I, That's all been, I'm doing is briefing cases for people. It's been so long. <laughs> it's like it, the, 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 the moment you said, oh, we're talking about admin law. I'm like, oh, what about Chevron? <laughs> that's, like, that's like the admin law case. I'm like, <laughs> how does this play into it? So, any any thoughts more on uh, this case, the Affordable Care Act birth control case? I mean, uh, legally, no, but I have like feelings about it. Let's get let's get into the feelings, John. Let's get let's I, get a little touchy feely here. I don't I don't agree that employers should be able to pick and choose like this. I oh, really I don't. agree with you there. If, I think the the decision under Hobby Lobby is flawed because. The, uh, the Religious Freedom uh, Restoration Act, while a law, is just statutory law. Yeah, it's, it's this problem that I run into with, like, clients sometimes where, like, they sometimes mistake, like, my citing the law for my personal opinion. Mm -hmm. And it's like, do I think that, like, this is the right thing to do? No. But unfortunately, I didn't make those choices, and I'm kind of bound by what they are. So here's the thing. I don't disagree with this case after the decision of Hobby Lobby. What I disagree it, is Hobby Lobby. Exactly. Hobby Lobby was a lot more narrow of a decision than most people think anyway. But what they're saying is you do have to take this concept into account. You might not – you, and you just have to provide a less restrictive means. So you can create an exemption, but – the, all that exemption might be is that fine you don't have to provide the birth control but what's going to end up happening is that you're going to be paying the same premium as everybody else and it's going to go into a pot and that like that really the, the workaround for this is everybody's paying the same premium you're not paying for it it's going into a pot that's going to pay for the birth control and that's anyway, it's no different than taxes part of me says like a lot of like like, like major employers like like, like big employers are going to provide for contraceptive care because they're like, we want to attract the best people. And like part of me, like there's just part of me that says, well, if these women like want contraceptive care, they can just work for like not Hobby Lobby. Well, but like I, uh, but I understand that that is not always re like, I, it's like, see, here's, here's where I, I think this is my difference between Hobby Lobby and then the rules promulgated under the affordable care act by Trump. 
right? Hobby Lobby is just saying you have to, for, for businesses with a sincerely held belief, like sincerely held. So I think I'd be closer to like, maybe if Chick-fil-A didn't want to do it because they didn't believe in it because they've been openly religious, like they've been openly, we don't open on Sundays. Like they might have a better argument than say Chevron banning, like not allowing for birth control because Chevron's a multi-million, multi-billion dollar publicly held company. Like I don't think publicly held companies should be allowed to do it. I think that's, I think that's maybe the differential here. I think this, I think the new rules were much more open than that. They were, they were broader than Hobby Lobby. And I think that's also why the court's kind of steering away from that because a, they know it's election year in six months, this might be moot anyway. And they're also, I think the, the new rules are way too wide open. And I, that's where I grew with Kagan is that these rules are too, you're, you're, it's, you are now doing more than what Hobby Lobby asked for. I have several points. Yeah. One of which is highly controversial, so I'll get it out of the way first. Fuck Chick-fil-A. The only thing they have is waffle fries. Popeye's makes a better chicken sandwich. Fuck Chick-fil-A at the end of the day. I'm sorry. Just putting I mean, that out I there. Don't, I don't look at that as controversial. I used to work for I Popeyes. I think that's controversial. Full disclosure, <laughs> I used to work for Popeyes, so uh, I, I have to. I, I can't stand anybody else but Popeyes for the fried chicken, even though I haven't had their fried chicken since I left Popeyes. So, but I also haven't. I think I've had Chick-fil-A like twice since I left Popeyes. But too. the more serious point is, like, there's a part of me that likes the idea that like religious based employers do not have to provide for contraceptive because it's a, like a thing that they don't believe in. Like there's a, there's, there's a part of me that says that's rational, right? I think, but, it, the, but at gonna... the same time, I can like override that with idea like, but like not everyone can just leave their job and go to a job that doesn't have that belief. Like, like that's that's the problem like in a perfect world where like i could just say well you don't have to work for such mm-hmm. a company yeah sure fine you can pay for the fuck you want but that's not the world we live in so later on we're going to talk about our lady of guadalupe school and this had to do with the ministerial exception and what i kind of think of like what the purpose of hobby lobby was was like say you go to like a school like say you are your school like like a private interparochial school that happens to be religious affiliated. Like we were talking about last time with a uh, Lutheran church, uh, Trinity Lutheran church. And uh, when they tried to apply for the playgrounds, I think that's the organization Hobby Lobby was thought of when like that. Nah, yeah. That's, those are the kind of organizations I think of like, I get that with that kind of an organization, you're working for a religious affiliated organization. Like I was saying before, I don't think it applies to Kmart and target. I think it's more narrow than that. Well, I mean, fair enough. I I agree with that sentiment. And I don't think companies like that would even try this anyway. But I think... Well, they would also take a lot of flack. Like, people would be like, fuck you, Target. I'm not shopping by you anymore. They wouldn't. I mean, I don't think they would do it anyway. I I, I feel like it's kind of a moot problem. Like, these companies are not the companies we're talking about. Well, I think that is who people who people are worried about with these new rules, especially with the section the, the second promulgated rule under the the affordable See, but like, care. But that's not where I'm that worried about, though. I'm worried about the person who's worked at one of these smaller, privately held employers that mm. doesn't really have any other prospects. Yeah, like maybe I'm worried about a narrow slice of the population, but it's a 
it's a slice of the population nonetheless. Like, again, I'm not worried about you if you work at fucking Target. Like, to, to, granted, Target doesn't pay great wages, but, like, at the very least, Target's not going to say you can't have birth control pills. Maybe. <laughs> I, I don't... I, 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 I do agree with what you're saying. The worry is yeah. more of the people who fall in the in-between range, right? Yeah, like, it's, or it's, in the, it's this or narrow slice. It's, like, women who work for these smaller companies like Hobby Lobby and then also have, like, no other options. Well, and, like, that's not a lot of people. I mean, maybe not in the grand scheme of things. But they're, they also, but they're human beings nonetheless. Well, and then I also think that there's a benefit in a black letter rule, right? If you are, say, working at a company, right, and they don't give you birth control, what are your opportunities to go ahead and try that and, and fight it, right? Like, we're talking about the logistics of it. Like, people already don't have the wherewithal to go after wage theft, which already is very much a, a broken system in this country because even, like, wage theft in this country is, like, one of the biggest uh ways that people get stolen from and honestly a lot of the laws regarding wage theft are very restrictive against the employees so now we're talking about people who say they go work for a company and they say well we're we're exempt from this rule look we're exempt from the the affordable care act birth control law look at this rule are are people gonna fight that because they're like the reason why having a black letter rule is so good where you're saying you're mandated to do this right like honestly if i was writing rules for this like if you were gonna if you had if you had to follow hobby lobby what you would do is you would make those businesses apply for the exemption because they that way we would have a we would have an open like system you would be able to like because I, I can't overwrite hobby lobby it's the law until we get rid of the religious freedom restoration act which honestly, I thought that that's that's why I think it's wrongly decided because they're both statutory laws, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act law, but so is the Affordable Care Act, and the Affordable Care Act specifically mentions mandating them providing birth control. So I thought that was wrongly decided a little bit, at least under the Re Religious Freedom Re Restoration it's Act. I do think the reason why they decided it that way was to kick it down the road. Still, I mean, like I, I, I think because the Supreme Court is filled with cowards. Like, the bottom line for me truly is, in a perfect world, this opinion would not bother me, and Hobby Lobby would not bother me at all. Yeah. But we don't live in a perfect world where everyone has all these opportunities. And, like, what do we do about the person who's kind of stuck? Who's, yeah, stuck in the middle. And it's like... It's just, like, what do you do about them? It's like, while I may agree, I guess, in a broad sense, I disagree because we don't live in a world where that can be. Yeah, like, there's a lot of gaps in the law. There's a lot of gaps where even if, say, you're, say the business you're working for really doesn't fall under the exemption, right? Uh, at least in the way that we're articulating it, not under the, the Trump rules. But say the, the say biden goes in they put new rules in and they're they're kind of similar but they get rid of the moral objection clause and all that stuff like say it's a lot more restrictive even still in if you're a regular person on the street and you go work for a, a company that is smaller but like closely held like 100 employees or so or 200 employees but it's still a smaller company and they don't provide you birth control and they give you this, this exemption reason, 
are you really going to fight it? Or is there going to be a, an administrative way of fighting it? Or is this going to be, a, is there going to be a check and balance to it? That's my worry with it is that people are going to fall through the cracks and this exemption is going to get bigger and bigger. Yeah. Like that's, that's a concern too, is like you've kind of opened the door to the possibility of people abusing the law. Yeah. Making this worse than it really needed to be. Yeah. Like, I mean, again, I'm going to put it on the record. I'm not a woman. And therefore, I do not know how much birth control costs without an employer covering it. But I imagine it's not that much, given that it's a drug that was invented, like, in the 50s. Well, and then here comes the other question, right? Like, does this include people who... Man, I'm willing to bet any female listeners are going to, like, fucking flame me to hell for this. Well, (laughs) well, no, but here's my pro... Here's my pro... Like, this is a... You know, what about women who need it for things that are not just birth control? Well, I mean, and that's another consideration. Like, what happens if you need it for endometriosis? Is that that's the one thing that this rule does not take into account? I think that's one of the things that Hobby Lobby doesn't take into account is people who use this as treatment, not even regarding the whole birth control issue. Because again, like birth control is utilized for a lot of these things. You know, uh, regulating your period. Uh, making sure that, you know, like if you have endometriosis or a lot of other uh, issues. the Other issues that I will never understand. So are those still covered even? I like, mean, are, they should be. They should be, but the current rules, the way they're written, and I think this is why Kagan, again, I, I, Kagan's opinion, Kagan's one of the best writers on the Supreme Court. So am I, I would, one of the best writers on the Supreme Court. I would agree. Gorsuch is actually a really good writer on the Supreme Court as well. Like, I'm sorry to give the the, the conservatives one point. No, but... okay, but, but but I actually don't think Gorsuch is that bad of a, a justice, though. Well, because there's another opinion that we're going to talk about today, Madrid. <laughs> <laughs> again, yo, he just he stepped out of line. But again, these were all opinions. Like, this is another one where we knew the answer to this two years ago or three years ago. Yeah, like. We knew, Gorsuch... the, we knew Gorsuch's answer on this a long time ago because he actually decided a similar case. When he was on the circuit court, Gorsuch to me seems like someone who is also concerned about the, the like legitimacy of the court, and I um, think I, I, I Gorsuch just always struck me as okay. the guy. He's gonna come up. He's gonna be. He's one of those people who's very unique, right? He's conservative in some areas, but he's also just he's a he's not like like Alito, where you can you can probably yeah. pick every which way Alito's gonna go because he falls in a particular All column. Right. Hear Gorsuch. me out on this, because I because I have I have a nuanced opinion. Mm-hmm. I think Gorsuch, being a textualist, yeah. means that he will probably cut against the conservatives in a lot more cases than people give him give credit for. I do think he cares about the legitimacy of the court. I do think he, that is a thing going forward. I think he's he's more but, similar to Roberts than he is to yeah. Scalia and Alito. But here's the thing, though. Supreme Court justices, as they age, tend to skew left. And if he's already at this point, I think he'll be a more left-leaning justice 10 years from now. Yeah, it reminds me of Stevens back when uh, Reagan stuck him on the Supreme Court and all of a sudden yeah, he ended up becoming like the liberal justice it's, it's for a long thing, year. It's this kind of thing where like you look at where he is now and like, I mean, like all of the data supports that Supreme Court justices get more liberal as they age. So do you want to move on to like the if, next case? Even if you fucking, yes. And, and, talk even, about, and talk about McGrip because we could talk about Gorsuch there. I point out, even Scalia got more liberal as he aged. 
granted, he was starting from a very conservative point, but he got more liberal as he aged. But yes, I'm done ranting now. <laughs> Only because we're already talking about Gorsuch, and actually this was the top one on my list, so we can go right into Magritte. Um, because this was a very fun case to read. Uh, this was a case where, for the purposes of the, the Major Crimes Act, uh, the Supreme Court held that uh, actually about half of Oklahoma, eastern Oklahoma, is considered uh, part of the, the Creek Nation. This is such a And it's actually a, a tribal so reservation. <laughs> this is such a cool case because I don't think anybody, like, is kind of, like, slowly burned and, like, nobody knew about it. Like, there were people who knew about it, but, like, like, you were not hearing about this, and all of a sudden, more people are talking about it now because, like, oh, yeah, half of Oklahoma is actually a reservation. And, and I cannot stress, like, enough for the listeners, Gorsuch being the one who wrote this opinion means so much more than, like, a lot of people realize. <laughs> well, he decided a similar case when he was on the, the Circuit Court of Appeals. Okay. And he then, decided multiple similar cases. Yeah. He, because, and people don't realize, Gorsuch was out west. Where this is a where this is a thing, <laughs> and he had a tendency to like side with with, with like like Indian tribes. That was that was a thing. He had a he had a, a a tendency to side with with tribal governments because and and again this is where like I give Gorsuch credit. I really do because like while he may be a conservative as a textualist, Gorsuch almost seems to me to be the real deal textualist where yes. like Scalia was a bullshitter where like he was a textualist when it worked for him and he wasn't when it didn't Gorsuch actually strikes me as someone who will be a textualist even when it does not benefit Trump I mean we're going to talk about another case later that him and Kavanaugh voted on <laughs> against Trump oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I was amazed that one was a 7-2 <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so Gorsuch wrote a great opinion here. And basically, so this focus on the major crimes act and because under the major crimes act, uh, only the federal government can prosecute native Americans for crimes committed on tribal land. This means that a bunch of Oklahoma state prosecutions are going to get tossed out, yep. including some death penalty cases. Well, Oklahoma needs to get the fuck over it because you signed a treaty. Well, they didn't it. sign the treaty. Well, okay. The American government, the federal me, government signed a treaty. Let me, let me reiterate. Oh, Congress has never disestablished that the reservation. The federal government signed a treaty. The Oklahoma state government is under the, due to federalism, is under the umbrella of the federal government and therefore get the fuck over it. We, and, as a country, signed a treaty with these people whose land we stole. We're going to be held to that fucking contract. And this has been since, like, 1856. And, like, it really... I, I thought this was a very fun... Uh, very, in, I would say probably one of my favorite cases to read. Because just the more I learned about this. The one thing I will say... So, I know uh, one of the prosecutors who I follow... And I, I don't follow many prosecutors. Don't worry, folks. I'm not. I'm not switched sides yet. Uh, I'm gonna be very upset with you if you fucking join the dark side, man. <laughs> no, don't worry about me, man. I uh, I can never throw somebody in jail. I so, would just be um, like murder. All right, you get three weeks in the clink. You're well, out. I'm just gonna put it out there. I have like like really like high quality like lightsaber replicas with like lights and sounds. If you ever decide to be a prosecutor, we're gonna have to have a <laughs> duel 
like there's a park here in Hoboken right by the Hudson and like I'm gonna yell at you you were supposed to bring you were supposed to destroy the Sith not join them I will <laughs> gladly have that nerd duel with you that would be amazing that would be so amazing <laughs> So there was one prosecutor who, who mentioned her, her qualms with this is, is that so now the federal government has to prosecute all these crimes, right? Yep. And the feds uh, don't give a shit about most of it. That's the problem. Is that, Get over it. Well, except that you have people who like for things like rape and murder, this is why indigenous women are more like have a higher rate of people going missing. Fair enough. Like there is a there is a a good argument that what this this person was making a point okay. for, which is that this is going to negatively affect the people who live on that reservation because now you don't have a localized government. Like you still have the tribal, no, you, know, you still have the tribal like part of the the, the DOG. DOJ does have a They're department right that deals with this that problem. But here's my opinion on this. Again, we signed a contract with these yeah. people. Then the feds under trump just need to give more of a fuck <laughs> well that's like it's 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 it then okay the ball is in your your court federal government you can do this that makes sense to me because like, like it, yes i i i am sympathetic to the argument that like tribal women and like you know vulnerable people are, are at risk now but again we stole their land and signed an agreement with them mm-hmm so, and if, if Congress, the solution is that the feds just need to get involved, what the fuck am I paying federal income tax for? No, I agree with you on that. Now, the issue is not whether, like, all oh, the feds have to get involved. There's no push for the feds to get involved because well, then you they and need to I get I off mean, their lazy asses. What I'll say is, there's not a lobby or like there until some. I think what will end up happening is because you don't have the Oklahoma state government dealing with this until there's like a national like case of people noticing that there's going to be these crimes going on on the Oklahoma reservation and there's not a lot of money put into the the Department of Justice portion that deals with those kind of crimes. You're going to end up seeing like you need some kind of national media attention to say, listen, we need better funding for that. We need better enforcement of that because those people need it. And that's what you need is you need a focused, like you, you need, you need a, somebody who is big in government to say, listen, I get it. You know, we made a, we made a, a contract with them 150 years ago. Congress has not gone, has not, uh, has gone back a little bit, but has not done it to the point where it has de-established the reservation. Thus they are a tribal nation and the federal government's the only people allowed to, to prosecute them for certain crimes we need to put more funding into this because this is a much bigger, you know, you're talking about half of Oklahoma. Now you need to pretty much. Yeah. The only problem is, is that how does that get done? You neither need a big case that people notice and everybody gets outraged about, which, Hey, if you're on Twitter, Instagram, go look up some cases and be like, listen, we got to, you know, this is a big issue because this is another part of this, this case. Wait, I have a suggestion. Uh, we could just legalize most drugs and then the feds can just spend those resources on that. Well, I agree um, with you there. Because, like, does the DEA really need to get involved with, like, people growing marijuana in their backyard? Probably not. Well, I think this is more about the mur- like murder or rape, uh, you know, like okay. some of the, the higher-end I, I, I have another opinion under. on this, though. Yeah. How many rapes and murders actually, like, get solved? This is true. Like, in fairness, most of them don't. 
I, I totally People agree with you there. People would be amazed at the number of murders that never get solved. But I think this means that less of them will. And I, I don't disagree with that concept. Because, again, keep a, think of it like this. If you're the Oklahoma – and I, I totally agree with the, the finding of this case. I think what needs to happen is the federal government has to put funding towards this. Uh, I just don't think it will happen. Well, no, but if you, is... you need a localized effort to – to take care of these kind this of issues. This is one of those cases where, like, I understand the problem. I understand yes. it because, like, yeah, it wasn't the, the the guy. He was like, he was like, eventually, like, like, convicted of like some sort of child porn or something like that. I forget. It was something to do with a minor. I think he like like raped a child. I'm like, yeah, sure. Should he be prosecuted? You fucking bet. But according to the laws, as the way that we have agreed by treaty or contract or whatever the fuck it was. That's not how it works. And if the feds give a fuck about this kind of thing, then they should get on that. I agree. Because, and, as, and, and my understanding... I think the problem is, is they don't. I think the problem is the federal government only gives a fuck when people point out the issue. Or until there's somebody in, in power who does give a fuck. So, for instance, if you have a, somebody in the DOJ, maybe Biden wins in November, he says, listen, I know this is an issue, uh, you know, the the increased rate for you know indigenous women going missing is a big problem i want to address it i have people in my administration who want to address it i'm gonna write an executive order demanding the doj direct resources to and sure enough, I, actually, I actually think that would be like a winning campaign thing for him is to be like i i agree with this case on principle because of the way the law was written but if elected president i would ensure that the federal government would look into these matters yes like because i mean and then again like i don't know about the listeners again i'm an attorney and so like that speaks to me where like i can understand the nuances in that i don't know how that would play with a general audience so like winning, I agree. Over, winning over my vote is probably not a good litmus test for like whether or not he should do it but like i would be very impressed if that was a thing that he said I just don't think he's going to do it because I, I actually have full faith that Biden probably does believe that. Like if, if you asked him like in a private setting, he'd probably say, yeah, that's probably a thing we should do. I can understand why he might not make that a campaign thing though, because not everyone who's going to vote is an attorney. That's true. And also it doesn't have to necessarily be a campaign thing. It could just be people in your organization do care about this. Like you might have somebody from Oklahoma who knows about this issue, who happens to be involved in your campaign or involved in your administration. And they might be like, listen, this is an issue, especially after the Magritte ruling. We need to take care of this. We need to direct more resources towards it. And then if as president, they do something about it, you're going to look at that and go, and he makes a speech about it and says, listen, Magritte was a big deal. Uh, we totally agree with the ruling, but because of this, the federal government has to take up the ball of helping to protect the, the people on these lands. So straight up, this feels like the first time we've had that dilemma of like a decision that was right, but is kind of shitty. <laughs> well, no, shitty, because, but it has because negative... Because I, because I feel has, like we're, we're really trying to defend this opinion when like, it's right, but I totally get why it wouldn't be. <laughs> Well, I listen, I think it's a great opinion because if you are a native, you know, there's a lot of people who are native Americans who look at this opinion and it just it 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 uh what's the word? It um uh it it, it makes them 
It legitimizes it. It legitimizes the, hey, listen, half yeah, of Oklahoma like, is a and reservation. That's, and that's the other problem where it's like, you're, to me, when I really got into the weeds of this opinion, is like, I understood, like, oh, this was someone who, like, raped a child. And they're yeah. throwing out a state conviction. But on the other end of it, they're acknowledging that the indigenous people who lived here signed an agreement with the United States government and that needs to be upheld. And it's like, how do I balance that in my head? And like my gut says it's the right decision, but I can rationalize why it isn't. And it's, again, I feel like it's, it's just one of these like examples of like hard cases make bad law like oh what do we do with this like the, yeah uh the i guess the need, federal the government feds, has to step up the feds need to step in and do something about this because like it's it i feel like it's the right decision but it has a bad outcome someone because... needs to make a documentary about this and it'll go live you know you put it on netflix this is how people learn things now they they get stuck inside from covid they watch tiger king which was also in oklahoma Man, tiger king <laughs> <laughs> you guys were able to do a documentary about tigers can you do one about indigenous women going missing like you would think like and, and, it's a, and it's a the much more common problem than people think it is. And also like you know the the good aspects of Magritte and the you know and then the repercussions of it. Like I think that would be maybe people wouldn't give a fuck about I mean, a documentary like, and about I, that. And I fully but... admit like for any listeners who like find this stuff fascinating, these are the kind of cases why I went to law school because like they're hard. Yes. Like it's it's not cut and like I understand why like the left in general might celebrate this decision, but I totally understand why it has some negatives, like, you know, consequences. And it's not, oh, it's such a hard case. It's, it's, it's not, but it's the right decision, in my opinion. It is. But it, has, also- but it has such negative consequences. I'm like, what do you do with that? I also think, like, when you look at this decision, uh, I, I again, it's one of the again, Gorsuch is a really good writer. He, he gets, a, I think, he had a lot of credit for that coming into the court. And you look at it, and he starts off like talking about the trail of tears and like the promises made to people going to these land. And it's like, listen, we are moving you from Alabama to Oklahoma, and part of that is you were going to have full, you know, autonomy over yourselves, and that didn't really entirely hold up but this is the next best thing we can give you. Which is fascinating, like, as a, almost a side issue, more, like, indigenous people cases might pop up in, like, the years because Gorsuch really does seem to be sympathetic. Yeah. Like, we, we might see more states have issues like this happen because Gorsuch has kind of proven himself to be... Like, again, I do... <sighs> Do I agree with like what McConnell did and like got Gorsuch in there? No, but Gorsuch actually hasn't proven himself to be that bad of a justice. Well, let me put it this way: say I'm, uh, I'm almost kind of okay with him being there because he seems to do the right thing. Well, let me put it this way: if if we had gotten Merrick Garland on the court and then Trump came in and Kennedy stepped down, I well, first off, I don't know if Kennedy stepped down would have meant Gorsuch would have been the next one on the list or it would have been Kavanaugh because it sounded like part of Kennedy stepping down 
was like a was a ploy to make sure Kavanaugh got on the Supreme Court. There was a little bit of because uh, Kavanaugh used to clerk for Kennedy. This is true. So there was a little bit of a hint of this was like a discussed negotiated thing he, that he was going to step down. But and the get- problem with that though is like Kennedy could prove to be a bit of a swing vote from time to time. Yeah. And if Kavanaugh truly takes like his mentor's lead he might continue to do what he's been doing and kind of be this weird, wild swing vote. Uh, swing vote's the wrong thing. Robert well, like Kavanaugh? Well, Kavanaugh vote. I haven't really seen much as far Kavanaugh, as... Kavanaugh, but, but Kavanaugh has like this... He's less predictable to me than I thought he would be. I, I think he got... Like, again, I, that, the whole uh, Blasey Ford thing... I think made everybody think of him as he's going to, especially the fact that he's associated with Trump and everybody's thinking he's a Trump justice. I, not for nothing, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, again, that the, we were talking about the case last week with birth control. There are things I don't like about them. There are conservative I mean, things about them that I don't care much for. I, I have this opinion where like, okay, I'm going to like put my, 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 my politics hat here. So if any listeners are mad about that, well, I don't give a shit. Um, je- I, I, my, 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 my girlfriend brought me another whiskey and ginger, so I'm, I'm very, very I'm in a very <laughs> good place. Um, my thought on this type of thing is, and like, and this is not like a controversial opinion. This is like an opinion like a lot of journalists have. I'm not saying I'm a journalist, but that they have about Trump's, uh, at like being allied with evangelicals. I feel like conservative, like socially conservative Republicans voted for Trump on the idea that he was going to put Supreme Court justices in that were going to like give them what they wanted. Yeah. But I feel like that was never a promise he could fill because like it's been proven time and time again that when you put people on the Supreme Court, like they don't always do what you want them to do. This is true. And like, I mean, Kennedy is, and Stevens were very big points yeah, of that. Like this is and like, now you're seeing it a little bit with Gorsuch. Like, sure, you have, like, Uncle Tom fucking Clarence Thomas. I, I literally fucking hope he dies soon. I fucking hate his ass. They're talk- oh, this is a big thing that came oh, up. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, he might be retiring. Okay, we should talk about this as, like, a post thing because I have many feelings about this. Um, but fuck Clarence Thomas. Once again, I've said it, like, on every episode. He can suck a fucking dick fucking uncle tom ass so speaking of that because he he was one of the few he was one of the two votes against uh against trump versus vance you want to start getting into that one i mean I don't or know any final any final thoughts on on uh, magritte other than what we kind of already no like i i feel like we really parsed it out is yeah really... well again these were some really good cases and remember last week we we're like these aren't gonna be interesting cases and then it's like never mind I... I, I like to think I qualify like there might be some interesting stuff. Yeah, I, I like to think I, w- I wasn't completely convinced that they're uninteresting. It's just like, we'll see where they go. Yeah, so, okay, uh, let's go into Trump versus Vance. And also, I, I think you have to talk about uh, Mazars as well because they kind of go together. Uh, Trump versus Vance is the, you know, the prosecutor of New York, uh, uh, Cy Vance, uh, sent a subpoena to Donald Trump. Uh, to get his financial records actually revolving around uh, Mazars USA LLP. Uh, He served the subpoena Duis Tecum on Mazars, uh, the personal accounting firm of Donald Trump to get his financial records uh, about the president and his businesses. And then the president acting in his personal capacity uh, sued the district attorney and Mazars in federal district court to enjoin them from enforcing the subpoena, right? This very much goes along with uh, uh, Trump versus Mazars, 
which was the congressional subpoena case, right? In that case, it was Congress is seeking the same information from Mazars uh, regarding Trump's financial information. In, in uh, Trump versus Vance, the court held seven to two that this, uh, that, the, that the, the president was not above the law, that he, his information is uh, open to, he, does, he doesn't deserve a higher standard uh, under the abstention doctrine. Uh, he's not, you know, he's, he's not entitled to injunctive relief here. And the, the Article 2 in the Supremacy Clause does not categorically preclude or require heightened standard for the issuance of a state criminal subpoena versus a, to a sitting president. Like, as a preliminary matter, yes, I've always been fascinated by what compels justices in these 7-2 decisions where, like, you're so clearly outnumbered. Why are you doing this? Um, well, we talked like, about it like, last week. Do, do you honestly believe that Alito and Thomas sincerely believe that trump is essentially above the law here or do you think they're trying to curry favor with him like that that's what fucking fascinates me about seven two decisions like specifically seven two six three i could even be like okay like you're in the minority but like whatever but seven two well, what I'll say is, like, we saw this last week with the 8-1 decision with USPTO versus Booking.com. Even less political decisions, you get usually one or two dissents. Yeah, because... okay. See, but, but I could buy there that a justice might have a sincere belief that, like, that's not how, like, that works. Fair well, enough. So sometimes it's nice. I think the reason why a lot of you will hear at least usually one dissent in almost every case is because – it gives you the opportunity to hear the argument for the other side. You almost always get one dissent, unless you're like last week we were talking about the the electoral college case. That was a nine zero decision. Everybody agreed on that one. But generally speaking, a lot of these cases, they there is an argument. It might not be the the right one. It might not be like you might even like I don't know if they necessarily disagree with it, but at least it's like they they fall in line with it. They go, listen, you know what? I believe this is a valid argument. I'm going to take the dissent on this. Like last week we saw with Breyer in USPTO. But like, do you really, like, I, I just don't understand how you, like, I guess because it's a lifetime appointment, I guess if I were like a partisan hack, like I'm pretty sure that Alito and Thomas are, I guess I understand. Like it doesn't make a difference in my life, but like from a, from, from like a sincere perspective, the fuck man. So before we get into more about that, let's talk a little bit about Trump versus Mazars, right? This is the congressional subpoena case because these go very much hand in hand and it's different how the court analyzed them, right? Trump versus Mazars was like a 5-4 decision, whereas Trump versus Vance was a 7-2 decision. And really how they make the distinction is, is that Congress's job, like a congressional subpoena is not meant to enforce the law. It's meant to be informational, it's, you know, the, the task, it's supposed to be related to and in furtherance of a legitimate task of Congress, right? The subpoena must serve a valid legislative purpose. So the thing here is, what is the purpose of the subpoena by Congress, right? You know, they, they look at it as a balance of, uh, a balance of the, the, the branches of government. It's, you know, there's a considerable, you know, are they taking considerable impression about like, uh, like 
it, it, are they stepping into the executive and the judiciary roles in that they are enforcing a law? Because that's what they are trying to dissuade Congress from doing. And by the way, there's very little case law about Congress using these subpoenas, right? It doesn't come up very often. Anytime Congress does send a subpoena to the executive branch, I mean, usually problem, what ends up happening is they agree to something. Like they the kind of come to a negotiation. Though is like, if you take the separation of powers argument that like it is the executive branch to enforce the laws, like, but what about when the law is directly in opposition to the executive? Like that's the problem. Like, sure, generally speaking, it is the executive's, uh, you know job to to enforce laws but like like i feel like there has to be a consideration for that well and this came up uh back in uh u.s versus nixon and uh where they they set up some standards in that and the senate select committee case which required the house to show that the requested information satisfies a a demonstrative specific need and it's demonstrably critical to a legislative purpose. Nixon and the Senate Selection Committee uh, involves subpoenas for communications and between the, the president and his close advisors, over which the president asserted executive privilege. This is for financial information. So actually, the Supreme Court's saying that, that that standard doesn't even apply here, right? Like, those are communications. What you were trying to hide there with Nixon was he was trying to hide, like, informational. Uh, he wasn't trying to hide, like, pieces of paper he had communications that he had that they were trying to subpoena uh basically the supreme court here doesn't really set up a standard what they said here was the lower courts didn't take into account the balance of powers amongst the branches of government so they're going to send it back down and let them deal with it which is dude they punted on that they punted on it for a reason though is they basically hinted that it's like listen we need you to articulate why you are doing this and the reasons why you are doing this. And yes, I kind of agree with you. There are times where, listen, the executive government is overstepping their bounds and who's supposed to keep the executive government in check? Well, Congress, because they have impeachment power. See, but like, I'd argue that like, okay, maybe in the, the, the original conception of the constitution, yes. But in the modern way that Congress works, that's not feasible. Like, Congress's natural paralysis gives the executive far too much power. Um, I think Congress's powers kind of grew, uh, grew a little bit, too. And I, I agree with you because okay. like, when you look at admin See, law, that's kind of an extension of the government. I would, I would argue that if there is a branch that should have had its power expanded, it is Congress. That's true. I agree with because you. Because it is representative of the people. I mean, granted, the Senate has its representation problems. But I mean, generally speaking, if there is a branch that should have been able to expand its powers, it is the one that is directly, uh, you know, uh, elected by the people. Yes. And so, like, I have less of an issue with Congress getting more power over time, but more so with the executive largely because of the electoral college but again i feel like we've touched on this multiple times again as the listeners are aware i don't inherently believe the electoral college is a bad thing i i am very conflicted about the subject and so i don't want to talk about it but (laughs) you get my point yes I think, okay, so what I, I, what I agree with the Supreme Court with is they do not want Congress, 
say that it was a different president, right? Say it was Obama. And they don't want, they don't want a Republican Congress constantly sending subpoenas to Obama just to inundate him and create a witch hunt. I, mean, I get but that concept. In fairness, though, like if the president has done nothing wrong, you can send all the fucking subpoenas you want. Like I have staff for that. Like whatever you want, all my fucking shit. Take my shit. I don't care. I Make don't up. disagree with you there. I think there's. I think it should be a balance, right? Like, and I think that's what the Supreme Court's saying is we think there should be a balance here. We don't think the lower courts took it into account enough and we want like i said they're punting it down the road because i think what they were hoping for is that but next time this comes up it'll be trump won't be in office i think i'm very certain that a lot of political insiders in in dc are just like this is probably all gonna be moot come 2021 so fuck it yeah and also the fact that they also gave the olive branch of trump versus vance right where they said by the way a state prosecutor or attorney general acting in their prosecutorial uh position they have absolute authority to do this this is this is part of the executive branch like they made a very big deal about allowing states and and attorney generals and prosecutors to be able to get this information to be able to serve subpoenas to be able to prosecute a sitting president which i think is is a very big note you're basically saying something that you know like they don't want to really resolve the question regarding Congress because they've already given somebody the ability to get this information. Yeah. Can I go on a tangent real quick? Sure. I legitimately do not understand why congressional Republicans didn't take the impeachment thing and use it as an opportunity to like clear themselves of Trump's bullshit and just install Pence as the president. Because Pence wouldn't win in November doesn't matter trump's probably not going to win in november either but i i i i legitimately believe we we think that trump won't win in november i legitimately believe that pence has a better shot at winning than trump does at this point i don't know i really don't think so i think people don't like pence i think i think trump supporters knowing that there was a coup would not vote for pence but trump supporters don't have enough like trump supporters are not as widely spread or numerous enough to win the electoral college. I actually think you could rally the traditional Republican base with Pence. If Pence put his fucking weird Christian bullshit aside. And let me just say for the record, I don't think Pence is a bad man. I just think he has really weird beliefs that if he just like put aside for the purposes of- I don't know, man. Pence strikes me as a very weird kind of like guy and if he just like put the Christian thing aside for like the purpose of governing I think he could be okay see I'm almost exactly opposite I personally because I think that that's intrinsic to his personality fair is the enough whole, is that okay. whole thing okay. that's, that's so much of his personality that it's I, almost you can't I, separate I agree with you but I also believe that like people are capable of being like, I believe this thing, but I'm in a position where that's not tenable. I don't know. I don't know. I think with, like, with I, Pence, I, I, it's like trying to remove the chocolate chips from a chocolate chip cookie. Like it's no longer a chocolate chip cookie. I, I think better of Mike Pence. I do. Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps. Maybe I'm willing to give more of a benefit of the doubt here. Maybe, maybe that's the thing. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't get it. Like, I, 
Okay. Let's talk back to that a little bit later. What's your opinions on the subpoena case? If you have any further opinions on it, I think it's the right decision. I think it's I think it's smart. They're kicking the can down the road with the congressional subpoena because it's something that's actually never been decided in the Supreme Court as to the strength. Like 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 I said, there's been limited court opinion, right? And part of it is it's you know informational purposes when it first got expanded, but I think they they don't want to make a they don't want to make a rule now that creates a bigger issue down the line, well, and me, that allows me. Congress to inundate the president with. And the reverse is true, too. I think they like the idea that subpoena power is like part of the gun. It's part of the, 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 the one of the bullets in the, the chamber that Congress has against the president, that they don't want to make a rule going the other direction either. I think this is one of those things where the ambiguity of the law, they want to hide behind it and they want to say, listen, this has never been decided between us. Usually 99% of the time you guys negotiate it and you guys figure it out. We would rather it be that way than what you guys are doing right now. Go back, figure it out. And by the way, it Trump, it doesn't matter that you don't want this information released. It's going to this guy over here. So we don't really have to decide the information issue. Well, let me point out for the listeners something that like we haven't really touched on is that this ruling doesn't mean that we are going to see Trump's tax returns unless there's a leak. It means that he can't, that he will have to turn them over to the prosecutor, but that he won't but that, that, due to the way grand juries work, will still be secretive, and we're not going to see it before the election. So it, it, it is kind Depends. of a punt. Yeah. It's a punt. Because, like, what are the odds that this stuff all gets turned over and then is, like, cleared for, like, you know, public release before the election? It's not going to happen. That's true. Although you'll definitely hear some leaks. So it's a punt because if I'm a Supreme Court justice who believes that Trump is not going to get reelected, I don't give a fuck. Then fine. Give it to SDNY, Southern District of New York. Give it to them. They can look at it. But by the, but, but by the time that you can do anything with it, the election will have been said and done. Exactly. We, we might see Trump's tax returns like in like February of 2021 when like he's already had to relinquish power and it's like whatever who gives a fuck at that point like I said Supreme Court full of cowards pretty much all right so we did Magritte we did the the two Trump cases we did little sisters of the poor St. Peter and Paul again sounds like a nice little uh doo-wop <laughs> song and then the last one is Our Lady of Guadalupe School versus Morrissey Baru, which is the ministerial exception case under uh, the religious clause of the First Amendment. Uh, this one was uh, not as fun as the, the other four, I think. I think we had uh, four out of these five cases were pretty amazing. This not going to lie, this is one I did not read. So I'm going to let you take the points on this. All right. <laughs> I so, always give my hot takes. <laughs> so the First Amendment protects... Uh, religious institutions to decide for themselves free from state interference matters of the church governance as well as like faith and doctrine right this is very very much a, a long standard thing uh there is a court case called uh husana tabor evangelical lutheran church and school versus eeoc right this is an older case and they said the, the First Amendment barred a court from entertaining an employment discrimination claim brought by an elementary school teacher 
against the religious school where she taught, uh, adopting a so-called ministerial exception. And in that case, there was four elements to it uh, that they, they kind of focused on. They really didn't clarify what constitutes this ministerial exception, right? They focused on her facts specifically, uh, the fact that she was actually called a minister in, the, in that church. So basically they're saying like, hey, listen, we're the federal government. We don't think employment law necessarily should apply to churches because like, you know, they should be able to remove a priest who's being a heretic, right? Uh, and not allow him to hide behind employment law rules. Especially, you know, if what he's talking about is going against the, the doctrine of the church. And then he tries to, you know, oh, well, you don't like me because I'm X, Y, Z. Um, they focused on the church had given her the title of minister with a role distinct from that of most of its members. Uh, her position reflected a significant degree of religious training, followed by a formal process of commissioning. Uh, she held herself out as a minister of the church and claimed certain tax benefits. And her job duties reflected a role that uh, conveying the church's message and carrying out its mission. So those, that's a lot of stuff that makes it sound like you were very high up in the church. You were like a lieutenant. Your job is to be, you know, pushing the, the, the narrative, pushing the, the religious experience, if you will. This case is a little bit, this is them expanding it. Right. In this case, there was two teachers, uh, one with the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Los Angeles and with teaching responsibilities. Uh, this at. Uh, let's see, it was. Uh, Agnes Morrissey Burrow taught at Our Lady of Guadalupe School and Christian Beale taught, uh, taught at St. James School. They were employed under identical agreements that set out the rules mission, the school's mission to develop and promote a Catholic school faith, community, impose commitments regarding religious instruction and worship, and personal modeling of the faith, and explained that the teacher's performance would be reviewed on those basis. Uh, each was also required to comply with each of her school's faculty handbook, which has set out similar expectations. Uh, each taught religion in their classroom, worshiped with their students, prayed with their students, and had performed a um, measured uh, uh, performed a measure on like a, a measure on performance of religion. Uh, they had a performance on their religious basis as well. So each of them got fired for uh, different reasons. Uh, they sued under the employment discrimination, and what ended up happening here was that the court was basically saying that determining whether a, a particular position falls within the ministerial exception. Uh, the, the circumstances informed the court's decision in Hosanna were rele like relevant because of the, the, the relationship to purchase role in conveying the church's message and carrying them out. Um, but in doing those, in like the significance of those factors, they, uh, they did not mean that they must be met in all cases. So for instance, they're saying, well, listen, she might've been a lieutenant, but these, these are foot soldiers. So they're, you know, I think what they were trying to say is, listen, you're teaching in a religious institution, right? They, they're expanding this, right? They're not just saying the generals can't be, the, the, you can't pick the generals at the school. You're also not allowed to, like, the, you can't fire the sergeants either. People who have less power. I, I kind of disagree with this case. I think they're expanding this way too much. Uh, because, again, like, they, they didn't focus, I, I don't know if I fully disagree. I think the fact that they teach religious classes affects it, Right. I think 
what happens if you're a chem teacher at a at a Catholic school? Should they be allowed to can you then for the ministerial exception? What if you have nothing to do with religion at the school? I agree with that in the sense I, I, I mean, this very much reminds me of Espinosa okay. last week where it's almost, you're kind of getting both sides of the cookie, right? I kind of have this problem with religious schools in general. We're like, if a religion specifically like states that like the principles of like physics are wrong, how the fuck are you going to employ a physics teacher? Like, I, I don't, uh, I, I think it's my, my problem is with, like, religious instruction overall. I don't disagree. Uh, I think this is one of the issues with religious schools is that you are now doing a, you're now doing something outside of just being a church. You are holding yourself out to the public as a, as an institution uh, you are, you know, it's kind of the reverse end of Trinity Luther, right? We talked about that a little bit last week where it was a, it, it was a school, it's religious affiliated. Yeah. They teach a couple of religion classes, but they have open enrollment. Um, I think the big issue here is whether or not they are involved in religious classes. That would be the, the determining factor in my end of it. I don't think that's necessarily, that would be how I would distinguish maybe these two cases from other cases where if you're at a school, like a high school that teaches chem, like if you're at Bergen Catholic and they have a chem class, they have a bio class. Uh, again, they both performed. And the thing that the court focus here is they both perform vital religious duties, such as educating their students in the Catholic faith and guiding their students to live their lives in accordance with the faith. Even though their titles did not include the term minister, they had less formal religious training than Perch. Both of their core responsibilities were essentially the same. And uh, the school expressly saw them as playing a vital role in carrying out the church's mission, a religious institution's explanation of its role for employing the employees in the life of religion in question is important. So basically, like, listen, they should be allowed to choose who works for them. I, I think when the problem is I have with this is, is the more re, like religious institutions are involved with schools, the more you are holding yourself out as not just a religious institution anymore. And this is kind of like, again, like, I think it, it's almost the, like you want your cake and you want to have your cake and eat it too. Right. You want to be able to discriminate against people but not, and not have the, the, and be able to use the ministerial exception. But then I also don't think you should be allowed to take part in I want to see one of these places write a law like that, where if you utilize the ministerial exception, you shouldn't be allowed to take funds from the state. Right? Because one of these things is kind of like the, not like the other, like you should be able to, to legislate some of these things. Like, I don't know, like, like I said before, Trinity Luther and Espinoza had to deal with schools and funding and, and grant programs that, that were generally applicable, whether or not you were a religious organization and whether those, religious organizations should be allowed to take a part in those grant programs. And the only reason why they're not allowed to be, ta- be able to take a part of those grant programs is because of their religious status. And so they basically said it was, you were discriminating against them on the basis of their religion. Here, they're saying the flip end of it. Well, now you're allowed to, like, because you're a religion, like we've given this weird, like quasi, like own, like category for people who, for religious institutions where they get to step in one field and take the money, but then they get to step in the other field and fire people and not apply employment discrimination laws. So 
I think what I want to see is some places to write laws that tie that money to the employment discrimination. I, I wonder I'm, if that would hold. I'm conflicted about this. Like, I, I like to think I have, like, general, like, liberal credentials. Where I'm mostly conflicted with this is, like, part of me says, like, look, if you want to send your kids to a fucking school that teaches them stupid shit, fine. And then they will pay the price for that. Like, if I'm, like, a tech firm and, like, you're coming from, like, a religious school, I'm not going to fucking hire your ass because odds are you weren't taught the kinds of things that I think are important for the job. But again, it's the same problem I have with, like, the, 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 the issue in Oklahoma where, like, in a perfect world, like, you reap what you sow, and if you send your kids to these schools, like, well, then you've kind of fucked them over. But, but the, that's not the world we live in, and it's not how it really works. My, my issue with that is, is that really what you're, who you're focusing on are the people who send their kids to these schools. My issue is, is that as a society, right, we've given you the ministerial exception is a very specific exception that we only give to religious institutions. We've also turned around and said, we're also letting you take grant money where technically we wouldn't be allowed to give this grant money to religious institutions. And these cases came out like a week from each other. So like, while I kind of agree with the concept of the ministerial exception, when you were a part of, when you were promoting yourself as a school, as a business, as a, as something that is promoting higher learning, you are now putting yourself out there in a realm that is not just being a church. I think the counter argument to that is part of the church's job is to educate their, their, their flock, right? Like I agree with that. That's their counter argument. I agree with that. If the kids had more say, because like, I mean, full disclosure for the listeners, I mean, I used to date a, a woman who went to a, a, a Catholic institution and she fucking hated it, but her parents like made her go and paid for it. And she always like lamented that like they didn't teach her any of the like life skills that she felt she truly needed. So it was like public school too. I mean... I'm just kind of cracking on it. Yeah, I mean, in fairness, her sp- her complaints were specific to Catholic school. Yeah, I mean, again, this is what was it like? Well, I forget, the, like, 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 Paranus Catholic or Bergen Catholic or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I've been drinking a bit, and I don't remember the name of the school because I'm not from those counties. I'm from the Jersey Shore. But the point being is, like, she was like, the school fucking sucked. They had, you know, these religious classes that no one took seriously. And it's like, oh, it feels like such a shitty thing to do. But it's like that caveat emptor kind of thing where, like, if you really want your kids to go to this shitty school, like... That's on you, right? I agree with you on if again, like I don't. I think this is kind of getting away from the. No, I, 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 my I, issue is more for the people who go to work at these schools, right? And there becomes no, I, an ambiguity I, about their employment status. Okay, but like, but I have less sympathy for them in the sense, of like, when you went to go to work for a fucking Catholic school, what the fuck did you think was gonna happen? Again, maybe my my liberal chops are being discredited here, but like I would never do that on that specific 
reasoning. Like, what the fuck did I think was going to happen if I went to go work for a fucking Catholic school? I don't disagree with you there. Um, I think my issue is, again, they are holding themselves out as a school. Uh, you might think, you know, yeah, we know the law, right? We know this ministerial exception. But, you know, keep in mind, this is the most expanded the ministerial exception has been, right? And again, you're not just acting as a church anymore. What if you take open enrollment, right? Like you're a private institution that, you know, like, you know, you talk about some of these schools that do it for sports. Like, oh, you know, like we have a bunch of kids coming here for sports. We're, we're promoting it as higher education. We try to get these high ratings. So now people are coming here to work for us and... Like, what happens if it's because you're doing your job? Like, what if you're a bio teacher and you're teaching about, like, evolution? I mean, fair enough. I mean, again, maybe this is where, like, my, like, liberal, like, bona fides get fucking challenged. But it's just like, then why would you work for a fucking religious institution? Like, what, why Money, would you even? job. Okay, but, like, there's other school districts. I guess. I, I, I mean, no, it's, it's like, I, I, I get it. I understand the issue, but it's like, if these people really, if that's what they really want to believe, like, fuck them. Do I, I don't disagree with do. you, there, but it's kind of the same argument about like, well, then why isn't Chick-fil-A allowed to do it? Why isn't Target allowed to do it? Why is it only? I think that's different because they're like running like a fucking like business that, that spans the country. Like, that's a different story. Well, but I think, I think the issue here is the distinctions getting reduced, right? What happens when it comes down to expanding this to the next step, right? Like, it, is there, where does this line end? Is it only for Catholic schools and, and churches? Is it only for places that are like, you know, what happens if a, if a church... Well Okay. happens to run a hospital i i believe that like all schools should be required to teach to the same standard but mm -hmm. that's not the case like religious like religious schools are allowed to basically do whatever the fuck they want as far as i understand and again, I, I did not go to a religious school i'm i'm speaking strictly from the experience of dating someone who went to a religious school and her experience was they could basically do whatever the fuck they want they didn't have to hire teachers who were certified they could hire whoever they wanted and like well if you are a consumer and you want to send your kid to a private school that teaches in that way and has those standards like that's on you. And yeah, it sucks that your kids are, you know, going to be held to it, but like, that's the country we live in until the law changes. Do I think it's right? No. I agree. That's what the law is. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Give it up for Mr. John Rinaldi, the greatest attorney on the planet. And uh, tune in next time for where I try to take over the world with a hamster named Bill Tutu. No, anyway, uh, if you want, you can follow the podcast at P-U-N-K Law 101. That's Punk Law 101, very easily spelt. If you don't know how to spell it, you can Google it. Uh, or look at the top of the title episode. Anyway, uh, and you can follow me at Brojo Death Punch. That's B-R-O-J-O. -O. Death is in the end of life. Punch like a delicious drink you drink in the summer. Or the thing you do to clowns when you see them pop out of your closet. I know that happens to a lot of people, supposedly. Um, thank you for tuning in. We will be doing a ton of episodes going into the future. Talking about all different kinds of law topics. We'll have actually another episode probably out a little bit later this week or early next week. Uh, about stuff like... Uh, uh, 
jury nullification and uh, prosecutorial discretion uh, and what those things are, those subjects. And then we will go ahead and we will talk about things like uh, bankruptcy because of how sexy bankruptcy is, copyright, trademark, because we talked a little about trademark already, and uh, business associations and all the other delicious little things, disability, all those lovely things that you might want to learn going into the future. So subscribe, follow, review, leave a review, say, listen, we think John is the greatest attorney on the planet. I know I personally do. I know he's a better attorney than I am. So thank you for tuning in, and have a great day. <laughs>